Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. Have a lovely time, and we're going to welcome Simon. Thank you. <laughs> How are we doing? All right, good. So we're continuing our spirit-led series. I'm really encouraged by the, the stories and the conversations I'm having about people who are looking to grow in this whole area of being led more by the spirit. So I want to encourage you that we're on this journey together, uh, that there aren't any experts in this. We're all trying to grow in listening and responding to the Holy Spirit. So I encourage you, wherever you are with that, keep going, because God is for you, and uh, he loves you, and his desire is to get to know you better and to use you more. So... Um, yeah, be encouraged wherever you are in your own personal journey as we journey together. Past couple of weeks, we've lingered at the woman at the well story where Jesus encountered the Samaritan woman and began to talk to her about living water. We had the disciples preoccupied with their stomachs who were hungry, and Jesus spoke about food that they knew nothing about, it's spiritual food. And we had a woman who came to get natural water who left with living water. And so Jesus was describing this whole new paradigm that's taking place with the coming kingdom. There was a new way of seeing things, a new way of experiencing God, who was spirit, and wouldn't be limited by places or spaces. He could be found anywhere. And that's what's so exciting about the Christian faith. You can know Jesus by his spirit, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. You know, he never leaves you. He never forsakes you. He's always with you. Jesus said, it's good I go to be with the Father because the spirit is coming, and the spirit will be with you wherever you are. And so we are a spirit-led people. And as we said, that doesn't mean being weird, and it doesn't mean losing our common sense, but it does mean that we are to be expectant to encounter the Holy Spirit in every tiny place of our lives. Nothing is too menial for the Holy Spirit. Amen? The the, the Jews had a a toilet prayer. I've told you before, haven't I, that they prayed every morning on the toilet, Lord, I thank you my bowels work. Because they had no distinction. They didn't see that place as being somehow a dirty place or a negative place. They had prayers around sex. They had all sorts of prayers because they saw God in everything. And it's only the the sort of Greek and Western mindset that's made us compartmentalise God into different times and spaces where we have a sacred and secular divide. And what I love about Riverside is we've kind of broken that down because people can't see the join anymore. They come into this place and say, where's the church? And we say, well, you're in it. Well, where's all the stuff then? Where's, where, where's the altar? Well, we've got a low stage, but we haven't got an altar. We, we're breaking down those, those, those ideas that, that faith has to be in a box or on a certain day at a certain time, or you have to dress it in a certain way or act in a certain way. And that's what Jesus brought and began to, to inaugurate, launch, when he spoke about the kingdom and the kingdom coming and the kingdom arriving and the kingdom yet to come. So today I want to look at a story that's in, um, that's in our Bibles, um, all looking at the person of Peter. Peter had this encounter uh, where he heard God speak to him really clearly. And as believers, we often, we often struggle to hear the voice of God, don't we? Who struggles to hear the voice of God? We all do. We all struggle uh, in our lives. Um, we've got all this to deal with now, haven't we? 
We've got all this stuff to deal with, media devices, 24-7 TV, news, iPads, you name it. We've, we've got screens in front of us all the time. And all these things clamour for our attention. But the problem with hearing God's voice isn't a recent one. It goes back right back to when the disciples walked the earth. They, they still struggled to discern what God was saying, even though Jesus was often just in front of them. So if you have got your Bibles, turn to Matthew 16 with me, and we'll look at the story of Peter. So Jesus begins from verse 13, asking the question to his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And this is the question he posed to them. Who do, who do they say? I am. And so the disciples replied with what they'd heard on the grapevine. Well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah back from the dead. Maybe Jeremiah or some other prophet. There was this, this rumble and story going on that perhaps Jesus was a, a prophet long back from the dead or perhaps he was another version of John the Baptist. And these are all good opinions, but they weren't the right opinions. They weren't, tr- they weren't the truth about who Jesus really was. They were trying to fit Jesus into their sort of existing religious framework of what they knew and what they thought would happen. All respectful, but none of them were right in in understanding who Jesus really was. And then Jesus turns the question to them. He says this, But what about you? Who do you say I am? And this is the question we're all faced with. Okay, you've told me what others think, but... Who do you say I am? Because Jesus will always take it right down, right in to the personal. John Wimber used to say, the guy who started the vineyard, when the lights go out, it's just you and Jesus. And what he meant by that was, it doesn't matter how many opinions or we look at other people and we look left and right and we see what other folks are doing and how they're living their lives and how they're interpreting faith and we listen to blogs and it doesn't, all that's great, but when it all comes down to it, when the lights go out, it's just you and Jesus. And we're faced with this question the disciples were faced with, who do you say I am? What am I to you? And it's a great question to ponder, isn't it? Sorry to go so personal this morning, but who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say he is to you? What is he to you? Because that's the question, ultimately, we all face if we're going to be followers of Christ. Who do you say, I am? What about you? We touched into this last week when the Samaritan woman was trying to discern if Jesus could give her the water that he offered, the living water. And he said to her, if you knew the one who asked you, so if you knew the one who was here, you'd ask me for something significant. You'd ask for living water. If you understood who I was in the context of your life. Jesus will always bring it down to us and him. We're very good at keeping it out there as Christians. We're very good at keeping it all out there and externalising and, and going through the motions and giving the appearance of faith and looking to the left to see what that person's doing, looking to the right to see what that person Has that person got their hands in the air this morning? Is that person smiling? You know, we look around and we, we get a, a, a kind of a judge on what's going on. But in a sense, none of that matters. Because then when the lights go out, Jesus comes to you and says, who do you say I am? Who am I to you? And the thing is, guys, that the God of the universe, the God, we talk about God being transcendent. I mean, it's a big word meaning he's a big God. He's, he's over everything. He's cosmic. He's universal. He's the creator of all things. 
He's the transcendent God. That's what the Bible reveals to us. That's what we sing about. But he's also the imminent God. And imminence means he's incredibly close and personal and intimate to each one of us. And that means he can be totally present with you and I at every point of our lives, wherever we are, whatever we're doing, by his spirit. And the imminent God comes to us and says, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? And he gets right up close and asks that question for all of us. So have a reflect this morning. Who do, who do you, what is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? Back in our story, Peter has this extraordinary revelation. He says to Jesus, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And this is a revelation that's come from God. It's breaking in, the kingdom is coming, and, and Peter has a glimpse of heaven, has a glimpse of the kingdom, has a glimpse of who Jesus really is. And we get those, don't we? You know, when we worship and when we pray sometimes, we kind of get it, ah, I kind of get a glimpse of Jesus as he really is. It feels like heaven's come down and touched earth this morning or in my quiet time, or it feels like I've got a glimpse of who God really is. He's not a resurrected prophet. He's not another John the Baptist. He's this extraordinary, fully human, fully God person that has come down as the saviour of the world. He's going to put everything right and restore all things. And you can imagine how pleased Jesus was that somebody finally got it, that somebody finally saw him for who he was. And he replies, he says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. We don't know if Peter got this revelation at that point in time or whether God had been revealing it to him progressively over days and weeks. But either way, Jesus makes it really clear this wasn't something he naturally picked up. He got this supernaturally. This was a revelation that came from God. And this shows us that Christianity is a revealed faith. It's a faith that's revealed by God to us. Theologians have a set of arguments they call apologetics. So I can stand this morning, I can argue God's existence to you from the scriptures and from history and from things like textual criticism they talk about in Alpha and different ways to point to the authenticity that Jesus lived and died and rose again. But ultimately, what we all need if we're going to receive Jesus is a revelation. Is a revelation of who he truly is. Because I tried researching God myself. It got me so far. I looked into God. I read about things. I visited churches. But it wasn't until God revealed himself to me and I responded that I fully let God into my heart. So our faith is a revealed faith to open the door of our hearts fully to God if we're to fully follow him. In his book, Surprised by Joy, uh, C.S. Lewis uh, wrote this account. I was going up Headington Hill on the top of a bus. Without words, and I think almost without images, a fact about myself was somehow presented to me. I became aware that I was holding something at bay or shutting something out. Or if you like, I was wearing some stiff clothing like corsets or even a suit of armour, as if I were a lobster. I felt myself being there and then given a free choice. I could open the door or keep it shut. I could unbuckle the armour or keep it on. Neither choice was presented as a duty. No threat or promise was attached to either. 
Though I knew that to open the door or to take off the corset meant the incalculable. The choice appeared to be momentous, but it's also strangely unemotional. I was moved by no desires or fears. In a sense, I was not moved by anything. I chose to open, to unbuckle, to loosen the rein. And there's Theus in his normal academic way presenting that encounter that he had with the Holy Spirit on top of a bus in Headington Hill. Surprised by that encounter, surprised by the revelation that he needed to open himself up to the Spirit of God to really understand who God was. He'd come to a belief in God by apologetic, by reason. Through his incredible intellect, he decided that God was real. But he needed, at this point, to open his heart, open the door of his heart to receive God in. I chose to open, to unbuckle, to loosen the rein. So what's that look like for you and I today? What's it look like to open or to unbuckle or to loosen the rein? What's it look like in our own lives to do that act and respond more fully to the Spirit? You may have been thinking about faith for a long time. You may have been on a faith journey. You may have been looking at Jesus and trying to figure out what it's all about. You may feel that God's becoming increasingly real to you. And just like C.S., we have this choice where as God gets closer, we have the choice to open the door of our heart and let him in. And it isn't, this word incalculable means without, without, we can't figure out how life-changing it will be if we really let God in. And it will be life-changing on every, every way and every place. But C.S. just decided that it was worth the risk. It was worth the risk to do that and to fully know who God was, the God that was revealing himself to him. And we have the same free choice that C.S. Lewis talked about here. We can open the door or we can keep it shut as we learn to try and respond to God. So again, think about that this morning. You know, do you sense Jesus close? Do you sense maybe constrained? What do you need to do to allow Jesus more free reign in your life? So back in our story, Peter has begun to understand his own identity. It's been revealed as Jesus speaks to him. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Peter was the impulsive overpromiser. <laughs> he was always the front of the queue. He was proud, but he was inconsistent. He always overegged himself. He overpromised and underdelivered. He's like all of us, really, if we're honest. He's the model disciple. Um, but Jesus began to reveal his true identity to him. He says, Peter, you're actually you're a rock. You're Petra. Petrification, rock. Um, you're a rock, and on this rock... Now, I don't think it meant that God was going to build his church on top of Peter. You know, Catholicism believes that sort of Peter was the first pope and authority came down that way. I think, built upon the revelation Peter had, God would build his church. It's upon the truth that Peter had understood who Christ was, the saviour of the world, upon this revelation, this truth, this rock, this foundation, I will build my church. And I will give you authority. I'll give you keys. Keys keys are authority. I'll give you authority on the earth, Peter, and all disciples, because you're going to operate in my name by the power of the Spirit. And the gates of hell, gates symbolise authority or power. The authority of evil would not overcome the authority of the kingdom. Evil would not triumph. God would triumph. The church would triumph. 
And so we get into this whole understanding of the natural and the supernatural. Whatever you do on earth will have a heavenly impact. You're connected now. Your, your feet are on the ground, but your, your head's in heaven. The two are being brought together as the kingdom comes. So what you do down here has an effect there. When you forgive someone there, it releases them into God's hands there. We're naturally supernatural. We're connected. Heaven and earth are connected by the kingdom. And we're invited into this new normal we talked about over the past couple of weeks. So Peter has this incredible listening moment. I can imagine how proud Peter was. Get me. You know, I've heard, I've heard from God direct. You know, I've told him. I told Jesus who he was, you know. I'm going to run a Holy Spirit listening workshop this afternoon, guys. So if you want to come and, and learn how to do that, you know, come and hang out with me. Because, you know, not by flesh and blood, but by the Spirit. I'm tuned in. And you can imagine Peter kind of getting inflated by this encounter that he has with Jesus. But Proverbs 16, 18 warns us, first pride, then the crash, it says in the message. The bigger the ego, the harder the fall. A little while later, Jesus is explaining to the disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and he suffer at the hands of the elders. And he must be killed on the third day, raised to life, this extraordinary revelation to the disciples of what would happen to him. And spirit-led Peter steps in, takes Jesus to one side and gives him a real telling off. And he says this to him, this shall never happen, Lord, never happen to you. So Jesus, uh, Peter wades in there and tries to stop Jesus from making the biggest mistake of his life. Well, talk about a rocket. Peter probably gets the biggest rocket in Scripture. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Stumbling block in your NIV doesn't really convey the weight of Jesus' words. Peter, you are a snare to me. You are a trap to me. You are an offence to me. You are trying to cause me to sin and rob me of my destiny in God. Imagine receiving that from Jesus. That would really mess your day up, wouldn't it? You're more interested in your own skin than you are in the things of God. That's the way to what Jesus said to Peter here. Peter's reaction isn't recorded in Scripture, but we can only imagine how deflated he must have been. Hero to zero in just a few verses of Scripture. One minute, God-given revelations. The next minute, speaking the very opposite. So what went wrong? What went wrong here? I think we can find some clues in the, in the next words that Jesus speaks to his disciples. He says this, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. As we think about learning to listen, the first thing we're looking to do is to lose ourselves, which is a strange thing. But what we're trying to do is get out of the way. We're trying to get out of the way of the activity of God. Peter got ahead of what God was doing and got ahead of what God was saying. His pride, his independence, he suddenly thought he got it, he understood. That made him crash. He went from being God's mouthpiece to someone that Satan could exploit and use to try and undermine the things of God. The challenge we all face as we try and listen and respond to God is how do we get out of the way? How do we get ourselves out of the way and allow more of God in. I've just got a few ideas this morning to think about. 
Deny yourself. Sounds really bleak, doesn't it? Really negative. You know, I've got to spend a life of denial. Sounds horrible. What's it look like to deny ourselves in a healthy way, in a godly way? Jesus is not talking about hating yourself or trying to separate yourself from yourself or punishing yourself. This is not what denial means. It's not giving yourself a hard time. That's what denial doesn't, it doesn't mean that. <clears throat> what denial looks like for us as followers of Christ is to try and submit to Jesus in every area of our lives. So we talked before, we give him the steering wheel. Imagine you're a driver. If you don't drive, give him something that's like a steering wheel, okay? Um, we give him our time, we give him our calendars, we give him our wallets, we give him our, the choices of where to live, where to work, what to do. We bring all that to him. And we say, Jesus, you're, you're greater than I am at this. You're better than I am at this. So can you help me do life well? You promised to help me live life to the full. So I'm going to deny myself and put myself second in the queue and I'm going to invite you in and let you try and do this because you do it better than me. And that's what denial looks like. So when we try and lead our own lives, we get into trouble. My first car was a, a mini metro fine vehicle. And uh, we used to live on the edge of a kind of the green belt uh, in the black country. So we used to spend a lot of time driving out to the country and trying to find nice places to eat and nice places to, to drink. Uh, and the headlights on this metro were awful. They were like two candles strapped to the bumper. And I used to try and wind my way down, British Leyland, great company, wind my way down these country lanes by the light of these candles. And um, so I thought, enough is enough. I'm going to buy myself some of these. The Ray Dot Fireball. Yes! The rally lighting system. Powerful, powerful. Slapped a couple of these on the front of the car. Probably thought it'd make it go faster. It didn't. But I, I now turned night to day with my radar fireballs. I could drive anywhere, illuminating miles ahead down the road, or so it seemed. They were great. And it made driving a lot easier down these country lanes, a lot safer. They gave me a lot more vision of where I was going and what I was trying to do. And they made the Metro look slightly better than it did. <laughs> but I could see the twists and the turns. I could kind of predict where to go and, and what to do. And when we try and follow God, it's like slapping a couple of these things on the front of your life. Because God, God said, I'll be a light to your path, a lamp to your feet. And it's like God wants to illuminate your path. And we can only see so far naturally. You know, we can only, can't probably even see the first bend naturally. But God like comes and illuminates our life. And says, I'm going I'm to let you see further. I'm going to let you, if you follow me and trust me, I can see around the bend. I can see the twist. I can see the turn. I can, I can lead you. So this is what part of denying ourselves is. It's recognising that someone greater than us is present in our lives that we can trust, who can lead us. So the first part is recognising, you know, Jesus, do I really believe you're greater? Do I really believe you are better at this than I am? Do I believe you're the, the, the wisest person that ever walked the earth, that you can do life better than me? You understand me better than I understand myself. Because unless we come to that revelation of, of God, yes, you are great, then we can't fully submit ourselves to God. We said last week, why would you do that? Why would you submit yourself to someone you didn't fully trust to lead you in every area of your life? So part of denying ourselves is facing ourselves that question, Jesus, what are you to me? Do I, have I really understood and that you're bigger, you're better? I did a, a level one sailing qualification the past two days. 
was a present for my 50th birthday, and I finally got round to doing it. And um, so I was out in the water on Friday and Saturday. And uh, I learned a lot about the wind. Okay, because um, the wind's quite tricky. And boats can be quite tricky. And what I realised is you can't go against the wind. You can't fight the wind. What you try and do in a sailing boat is maximise the wind. So we went off down uh, that way towards Hampton. And we wanted to go to Hampton, but we ended up going like that way out to sea because that's the way the wind was best utilised on this boat. So Hampton's there, and I'm thinking we need to go there, but we're going there. And then we tacked back in. <laughs> and, uh, but I understood why Jesus talked so much about the wind. Because learning to go with the wind, you can't deny the wind. Well, you can, but you end up over, overboard. You end up capsized. You try and deny the wind. I'm just going to ignore the wind and try and do that. And the boat will misbehave and get very messy, and you'll end up in the water. But if you learn to harness the wind and go with the wind, then suddenly there's this beautiful synergy of the boat and, and the wind. And that's what, when Jesus said, you know, the wind of the Spirit blows where it pleases, and everyone born of the Spirit is like a person led by the wind. That's exactly what it's like. When we submit ourselves to God, when we deny ourselves and say, God, I want to be caught by the wind of your spirit. Now, I want to go there, but actually you're taking me here. But I trust, ultimately, you know, I, I trust you with this, with this course that we're on. And it's really important. And I think so much of the time, we, we, we just go against the wind of the spirit. We try and do it our way. We can't short. We think, why is it not working? Why is it not going? And it's, and it's a real nuancing to recognise what God is doing and how we respond to him. Quickly moving on. Take up your cross. The cross meant one thing in Jesus' day. What did it mean? Suffering, persecution, death. It didn't have any nice jewellery attached to it. It didn't have anything symbolic or iconic attached to it. It just meant an instrument of suffering. So when Jesus said, take up your cross, he wasn't saying, go in and buy something from, from a jewellery shop and look nice. He was saying, to follow me will have cost attached to it. And this is not very vogue in modern Christianity. We don't like to do Jesus with cost. We want to do Jesus with fun and Jesus with trendy and Jesus with... But actually following Jesus will cost you. It will cost you if you truly follow him. If we're going to be spirit-led people and respond to the spirit, it will have cost attached to it. Quick story, back in 1999, I was, we were trying to buy some booze for Christmas and we were in a supermarket and um, we were going to buy some brandy for Keely's Nan and there was a taste test station. So I tried a bit of this brandy. As I tried this bit of brandy, God said to me, I want you to stop drinking. Now bear in mind, I wasn't a heavy drinker, maybe a couple of drinks a week, but God said, I want you to stop drinking and if you stop drinking, I will increase your ability to hear my voice. And it was as clear as that. So I had a choice at that point. Do I stop drinking? Do I go, mmm, millennium's coming forget that. I chose the first. I chose to stop drinking. And I stopped drinking for seven years. And after seven years, I felt the whisper of God say, you can start drinking now again if you want to. So I ran out and bumped off a pint of Guinness. <laughs> if I remember Guinness being this amazing dark liquid that was beautiful and tasty. And when I drank the Guinness, it was pretty average. <laughs> <laughs> it had grown greater in my sight through absence, but actually... Seven years is a... I don't know why seven years. Seven years is a number of completeness in Scripture. I don't know why seven years. But during those seven years, God held up to his promise. And he increased my ability to hear his voice. And occasionally... And so there's a little cost attached to that, that, that response. And occasionally God will come to you and say, if you do this, I'll do this. We talked before, it's the promise with the premise. If you do this, I'll do this. 
And sometimes there'll be cost attached to what God wants you to do. And you have a choice to respond to that and push into that or brush it off and carry on. So following Jesus will have cost associated with it. It will have cost associated with it. Taking up your cross doesn't mean trying to beat yourself up. It says in Colossians 2.23, Paul says that harsh treatment of the body or false humility, they lack any real value. So just beating on yourself or denying yourself isn't going to bring spiritual change. But if Jesus speaks to you about something in your life, there will be life and change attached to it if you respond to it. That make sense? Because we're spirit-led people. So if the issue for God wasn't the drink, I don't think, because it, it wasn't like it was a massive part of my life, but it was, will you obey me in this area, and I will bless you. The promise with the premise. Will you do this, and then I'll release something to you. So taking up your cross means responding daily to the voice of the Spirit. And it will involve some cost. The Holy Spirit led Jesus to Jerusalem and to the cross. The Holy Spirit led the Apostle Paul to many different towns where he was persecuted and stoned and beaten and imprisoned. Closer to home, the Holy Spirit and faced the cost of that confession. So we follow our Saviour into suffering for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the kingdom. If you've not read anything about that historically, I suggest you read this book, Jesus Freaks. And this is basically Fox's Book of Martyrs updated. You may never have to face the decision of whether or not to die for your faith, but every day you face the decision to live for it. And this is stories of incredible Christians burnt at the stake, going to the lions, all sorts of things. But the testimony of their, of their lives in those moments is absolutely extraordinary. So it's a great book, and it will really encourage you in terms of the, the depths of Christian faith. A good read. So, taking up your cross means responding even when it costs. Even when it costs. And coming into land. Follow me. Follow me. It's kind of overused this in Christian language, but it means to be on the same path as Jesus. You know, you're walking along together. You're going in the same direction. You're on the same journey. And that's what Jesus said, will you follow me? It means, will you walk with me? Let's walk together in the same direction. We went to Paris this year take Tina for a week to Disneyland and, and see the sights. And the trouble was the, that stopped the, there was some work on the line and, and the main train stopped short of Paris. And you had to get off the main line and go up into Paris and then find the metro line and that would take you fully in. So we're newbies and we've never been to Paris before and we're a bit lost. And so we asked someone on the platform, an attendant, what do we need to do? And she said, just follow the crowds, follow the people, because that all happened to do the same thing. So just follow the people. And we followed the people up and across and down and lo and behold, we were all good, and we got into Paris. And that's what Jesus is saying to us. As, as believers, we all should be broadly on the same path, in the same direction. If we'd have gone up there and said, well, it's great advice, but we're going to go our own way. Forget that. We know the way. Get Google Maps out. We wouldn't have we would have been stupid, because the crowd was going that way. That, that, that Those are the people that are heading in the right direction. If you find yourself heading diametrically opposed to the main body of believers, then you probably need to check and figure out what's going on. Because Christianity tends to set us on a, on a, a broadly the same path, the same direction. I haven't upset them, they're going to go do the coffee, don't worry. 
broadly the same direction. We're on the same path when we follow Jesus together. Remember we talked about um, this a few weeks ago. This is this from our Galatians series. And we talked about how you are completely a new creation in Christ. Your nature is 100% changed. But you have old mindsets, which are partially in truth and error, and you have will that tries to influence your decisions. And these are things that kind of feed in and try and derail you, even though you are a new creation in Christ. As the old self, the negative part of your ego, is trying to come forward and trying to, and trying to get stuff and, and, and be present. And it's working against letting God lead you. Peter's negative ego got in the way. He got puffed up and he thought he could do it without God and he came crashing down. And I really feel for him because he's like us, really. You know, he, he's us. We're so inconsistent in our faith and flaky and we, we overpromise and deliver. And he's really just a model for us, really. And so in our vulnerability and our brokenness, we push into God. We lean into God, recognizing actually that we're frail. And we have this treasure in clay jars, don't we? Mike Pilavachi said, self-sufficiency is the greatest curse for any Christian. When you rely on yourself rather than relying on God, you come really unstuck. And we looked last week, didn't we, about vulnerability, how important it is to, to be weak before God. And the scripture tells us that God's grace is made perfect. His power is made perfect in our weakness, not in our strength. So following really means losing your way in preference of God's way. It means getting on the path that Jesus is walking. Sometimes that might feel a bit counterintuitive, it might feel costly, but that's what it means to follow. He wants to draw us into this deeper relationship, this interdependent relationship that we walk in together. Let's stand together. So Peter shows us how to get it right and how to get it wrong. He shows us really clearly. And one of the biggest challenges that we all face as we grow is, is keeping our ability to listen and respond to God. We need to try and get out of the way. The Bible says in, in Colossians 3, 3 that we died and we're hidden in Christ. But the problem is we keep playing peekaboo. We keep trying to put ourselves forward again. So if we can practice getting out of the way and allowing more of God in, then we will be a more responsive people to God's spirit. So that means checking our heart, our motives. It means keeping our negative egos in check. It means trying to respond when God speaks to us, even if there's a cost involved. But Jesus promises if we lose ourselves, we will truly find him. If we really let him lead us and guide us, we will find him in a way we never thought possible. So I'm just going to pray this morning. Why don't we stay where we are and just open our hearts to God. The Holy Spirit's here. I really want to pray into that that encounter that C.S. Lewis had where he he realised that he needed to open the door. He'd come so far. He understood so much, but he realised that to fully know God, to fully encounter the joy, surprised by joy is what that book is called. There was a greater experience for him to have, but he needed to open the door, to unbuckle, to, to release something. So I pray this morning, Lord Jesus, that if we're in that place, and we all are in that place to some degree, God, you will help us to open ourselves more to you, more to your spirit. 
You want to pour your life and your love into us in increasing measure. You want us to be able to know more of who you are. That revelation that Peter had, you are the Christ, you are the son of the living God. That glimpse of heaven. And I pray this morning, God, that you'd show us all how to do that, how to loosen and open and even follow you when it costs. You may have heard the Lord say something to you even now over the past few days where to, to respond to that would involve cost. But you can trust him that if there's cost attached, he will bring it back to you. A double measure, pressed down, overflowing. Because you can never outgive him. So Lord, you pour out your spirit this morning on these people. In increasing measure. Just a lovely sight seeing the spirit rest on you this morning. Give him all the things that weigh you down. Give him all the things that bring heaviness to your heart. Maybe situations or people or relationships. Just bring them all to the cross now. Just let Jesus take those things. Just visualise him taking those things away. Maybe visualise yourself opening the door of your heart. Your hand's on the handle, you're opening that door and you're inviting the Lord in again. He promises by his word that he will come and live in you and with you. So Lord, we receive you as the personal God this morning into our lives afresh. It's a beautiful picture, just seeing it all rest on you. Just allow him in. Let him into those rooms that feel painful or feel shameful. Just let him into those spaces and places in your heart as well. He knows they're there. There's no surprises in God. Just let him come in and inhabit those spaces. Let him bring healing in those spaces where there's hurt or unmet expectations, let him come in and and heal those spaces this morning. We welcome your spirit. We bless your name. Lord, we stand on your promise this morning. When we lose ourselves in you, we truly find ourselves. So would you help us over these weeks, God? to immerse ourselves more in you. Bless you, Jesus. Thank you. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Just a lovely sense of the Spirit here in the room. If you want someone to pray with you, uh, please don't leave without come forward or grab someone, a friend, just to pray and bless what God's doing. But I just want to really encourage you on this journey that we're on together. It's just, it's just wonderful to see a group of people hungry for God and pushing into God. So let's continue to do that. And the stories will begin to come as God begins to speak. So bless you. Have a great week. Enjoy your coffee. See you soon. God bless. Thanks for listening. If you would like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org.
Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.